This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Wounded Warrior Project, honoring and empowering post-9-11 veterans. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. The transition from military to civilian life can be daunting for many veterans. In this segment, Representative Mark Green and Catherine Monet, the CEO of the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans, join the Washington Post to discuss the challenges returning veterans face. Let's listen. Hello, everybody. I'm David Ignatius, back with you again. Uh, In this segment of our program, we're going to talk about the financial and medical challenges that face veterans in transition. I'm joined by two guests who are experts on this, who are going to help us think about it. First, Catherine Monet is CEO of the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans. Also joining me is Congressman Mark Green of Tennessee, who's himself a a veteran, a a doctor, uh, who's been uh, passionately involved in issues involving healthcare and transition for our vets. Uh, Congressman Green, let me uh, begin with you. You're a a model of what the transition uh, should look like. You came back and started your own company. You've had success in so many areas. Maybe you could tell our viewers uh, what makes for a successful transition back to civilian life. And also maybe you could think back to people who you served with who had a rockier time and why that was and what we can do to help them. Sure. Well, first, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate you guys doing this program. And, you know, my sort of pathway to the success we had was getting involved with folks who had actually started companies. I think there are a lot of organizations out there that help veterans through the transition um, to find jobs. So there's lots of job placement stuff out there, how to write a resume, those kinds of things. But there aren't very many how to start your own company. And and so there's an organization now that I've been a part of called Bunker Labs, which actually is an entrepreneurial uh, incubator for veterans. You you can start going and taking their classes before you get out. And that company now has linked uh, veterans who are starting their own companies to venture capital dollars and been successful in launching 100 plus companies. Uh, But but there are those assets out there and and tapping into those are what, what made, you know, me successful and and others like us you know i i absolutely can think of dear friends who stood next to me downrange and who struggled when they came back one one guy had a back injury and and got addicted to narcotics and self-treated not only the you know the injuries the physical injuries but also the the unseen scars of war the heart and and, and the mind and um struggled for a very long time other organizations came in and helped him like reboot for recovery operation stand down you know, soldiers and families embraced organizations like that to sort of help deal with that heart piece of being a warrior and having to take a life and and the other piece of that surviving when perhaps maybe your friend doesn't that creates a tremendous amount of guilt that uh, our men and women coming home from war have to overcome Congressman, that's powerful and personal and helps us all uh, see these issues in, in, in immediate terms. I want to turn to, to Ms. Monet and ask you to talk about the problem of homelessness among veterans. I think it's not uh, widely enough appreciated that, that there's a significant part of our homeless population 
that's uh, men and women who served served overseas, uh, served our country. Talk just a little bit about the, that pathway, the, the unsuccessful transition that leaves people in, uh, without a home uh, on the streets. Just tell us a little bit about how that happens and then how we can think about dealing with it. Yeah, so that's actually a really great question. So transition can contribute to homelessness in that there isn't a lot of coverage in the TAP program that relates to housing, how to find housing, financial management, and some of the things that we heard from uh, Mr. Kastner in the earlier segment today. Um, I think increasing the focus on those areas would be incredibly helpful, but not all homelessness is related to transition, right? The predominant population of veterans that are homeless right now tend to be um, your Vietnam era, your you know first Gulf War veterans. And so I think we'll see that start to change as we get further out from the current conflicts that we're in. And and let me just ask you to, to continue with that. As you as you think about homelessness, uh, are there are there additional steps you think that the the, the Defense Department should be taking that groups like yours would like to take that address this problem more specifically, as you say, with a, a potential addition to the homeless population uh, from our from our post 9/11 vets. Yes, absolutely. So one of the things that's, I guess, a little known thing that we do at NCHV is run a toll-free hotline where veterans in a housing crisis can call in. And it's surprising to me the number of calls we get from new veterans who are transitioning out of the military who have just basic questions on, how do I find an apartment? I don't know how to do that. I'm not sure where to start looking. So I do think that you know the transition component in terms of TAP should include some education on housing and homelessness and the resources that are available. But beyond that, there is this really jarring statistic where 33% of your veterans experiencing homelessness are African-American, but they really only make up 12% of the population. And so I think in terms of looking at homelessness prevention, we need to be looking at the broader systematic um, challenges that veterans face, right? And I think one area that the DOD could really dive into is looking at equities within the military justice system and thinking about, you know, how the justice system dispatches justice, quite frankly, and, you know, thinking long-term about the impacts that that has on a veteran as they go through life without the ability to access any VA services. That's that's powerful, especially in these weeks when we're thinking about racial justice issues with, I think, a new and, and special focus. Uh, C Congressman uh, Green, I should say Dr. Green, too, um, you are, uh, in addition to your, your extraordinary ser service uh, in the military and in Congress, a survivor of two different uh, types of cancer. You're now cancer-free. But uh, I've read that uh, some of that exposure seems to have come from a subject we explored last week in the first installment of this series, uh, namely burn, burn pits and the, the toxic uh, releases from those pits. Could you talk just a little bit about, about, about your personal experience and how that's motivated you to, to dig deeper on these issues and, 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 and push harder uh, for uh, answers to questions that, that uh, vets have? Sure. Well, thanks for bringing it up because it is a critical issue, not not just for me, but I mean, really for a lot of veterans. We found the incidence of cancer amongst uh, veterans that have been stationed at particular, you know, places in the region, and particularly 
K2, uh, an airfield where the invasion of Afghanistan was staged from, from the north, um, significant, like five, 600 percent increases in various types of cancers. Honestly, I hadn't even thought about it myself until these guys came to me, this group, and said, hey, here's some data. And, and it made me scratch my head and go, well, maybe that's why Maybe that's why I had both colon and thyroid cancer at the same time with no family history and a genetic workup that was negative. So we really have to get DOD to participate and they've been reluctant to do so. Uh, myself and Chairman Lynch in a bipartisan fashion pushed some letters uh, demanding that they look into this stuff. Uh, the VA, interestingly enough, has responded on some level and said it's gonna start tracking some data, create a database of soldiers who, sailors, airmen, marines who, who served at K2 and other places, the burn pit exposures. So all of those registries and the data is a start, but it, it really only is a start. We need serious epidemiologic studies that look at um, those long-term health benefits. I hear all the time about people who were assigned at K2 and have died of either lung or brain cancer or colon cancer. And it's uh, these are young people in the prime of their lives uh, that have sacrificed for our freedom, and it's time we get their families some answers. We last week, uh, Congressman, uh, just kept hitting on the theme with our guests of the presumption of care being the starting point for the Pentagon, the yep. presumption that people are going to be taken care of coming out, co coming out of these, uh, these deployments. Ms. Monet, let me uh, turn uh, back to you and, and ask you to uh, th think with us a little bit about the special challenges uh, for, for vets and for homeless vets in this uh, period of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. One of the, the terrible things that comes through in the statistics that we've seen is that COVID-19 seems to be affecting disproportionately minorities in this country. You said a moment ago that that's also true about homelessness with vets, that there's a disproportionate number of, of minorities uh, in, in that category. Talk a little bit about, about uh, this problem of the racial uh, imbalance and inequity and, and what you think, uh, as we focus on veterans, we might do to, to address that. So I think that there are a couple of different things. And I will note that, you know, the HUD data shows that there was an increase in unsheltered Black veterans of 4% between 2018 and 2019. And that's a pretty big jump for our population. I think that unsheltered veterans have, well, unsheltered people in general, right, have particular challenges related to, you know, access to locations where they can practice good hygiene and hand washing, like Senator Sabinow said at the top of this call, you know, with so many restaurants and libraries and public facilities closed, it's just a real challenge. I mean, accessing housing has been a huge, challenge as well, given that there are fewer shelter beds available because folks are trying to space out congregate transitional housing. There has been an increase in funding for rapid rehousing, um, temporary hotel and motel placements, and that's been a good thing, but it's just a little bit harder to get in the door. And I think we need to think long-term about how we plan for long-term permanent housing placements for the veterans that are in you know, hotels, motels, in transitional housing, and how we're keeping the system flowing. Um, I think there's also one last point here that you know we're seeing widespread increases in unemployment, right? We're in what now, our 13th or so week of 
state unemployment claims topping 1.5 million and veterans are not the exception to the rule there. And so as the pandemic continues to roll and we start to see more folks running out of state unemployment benefits, I think we're gonna have a real crisis on our hands. So thanks for, for focusing on us on that. Congressman Green, I, I wanna ask you uh, for a, a moment to turn to the COVID-19 uh, as, as well. Um, you have a, a particular um, uh, interest um, and motivation because of uh, Fort Campbell, which lies on the border of your state, Tennessee and, and Kentucky. And uh, I've read that uh, many Fort Campbell personnel were deployed in the early days of this pandemic to the hottest of the hotspots, New York, uh, Boston, other areas sure. where the pandemic was really hitting hard and they uh, suffered all the risks that, that go along with that. Uh, as we know, the, the medical uh, danger for our, our frontline uh, uh, healthcare workers has been extraordinary. Could you just talk for a minute about, about these uh, service people from Fort Campbell and elsewhere who were part of the response and what you think uh, we might uh, try to do to, to say thank you to them or to deal with their particular uh, problems as we come out of this period. Absolutely. And thank you for asking about these guys. They're, <clears throat> they are the best. You know, the 101st Airborne Division and all the assets at Fort Campbell um, are serving the nation in Africa, in Europe. And uh, of course, they responded to New York and other hot spots with their medical resources. They're on the border right now. Um, helping CBP down there. The, the, the men and women that sit at Fort Campbell are uh, serving the nation in an amazing way. Yeah, you know, I think obviously they're in a, a, a good patient population in terms of COVID-19. We know that you know, 80% of the people who've died from COVID-19 are 65 and higher. Uh, that, that, that the healthy, um, well-cared-for, physically fit, well-fed uh, person in their 30s, 40s, 20s are, are, are pretty safe when it comes to this virus. And DOD implemented some, uh, and some would say draconian, but uh, their quarantine methods were exceptional and protected the force, uh, protected the spread of the virus, uh, at least at, at Department of the Army. Um, no one at Fort Campbell that's gotten the uh, virus has, has uh, succumbed to it. And uh, the medical personnel out there have done a fantastic job. And of course they did contribute greatly in New York and in Boston uh, forces from right here in, in my hometown. So uh, very proud of their service. Um, having served on that installation myself, um, it is a strategic asset to this nation and the men and women out there are, um, they're amazing. Uh, Congressman, in the one minute that we, we have left, I should ask you, ask you how, how's reopening going uh, in Tennessee? Uh, what, what, what are you seeing in terms of of the ability to reopen, of, of any uh, uh, spikes in, in incidents of, of COVID-19. Give us give us a, a report from your state. Yeah, absolutely. And first, before I do that, let me thank Ms. Monet for her uh, being here today and all of the work she's doing to help our, my brothers and sisters find, uh, find housing. You know, the state of Tennessee has done it differently than a lot of other states. And we, we flattened our curve very early. We've opened back up. We're nearly 100% open. Uh, churches are even open now. 
Uh, we're following the CDC guidelines in terms of social distancing, masking, um, questionnaires, and the economy is pretty much fully opened. Uh, you can go to just about any restaurant except for in the major city of Nashville and Memphis, um, and they're at full capacity. So, and we have seen spikes in the caseload, but not in the hospitalizations in Tennessee. So that's what people really don't understand. We have to watch, we're watching that hospital bed capacity, ICU capacity, ventilator capacity. Um, and as long as we keep those manageable, we're in a good place. And that's that's what Tennessee's doing. So I think we're moving forward. And, um, you know, the spike in retail sales, the spike in employment that happened in May, you know, that came from states like Tennessee that opened up early. So, Congressman, we're glad to hear that. Uh, that's a positive report. Uh, and I want to thank uh, both of you, Ms. Monet and, and, and Congressman Green, for contributing to our special discussion about veterans uh, and the issues that they face in transition. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.